You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Okay, well, we're about to launch another version of the Agony Column Live, and we have two incredible guests and a fabulous musician backing us up this evening. So let me introduce first Lisa Goldstein. She's a Nebula Hugo World Fantasy Award-nominated science fiction writer. The Red Magician won the American Book Award, and her new book, one of the best of the year, I believe, is The Uncertain Places, Thank you for joining me, Lisa. Well, thank you. Thanks for that introduction. It's absolutely all true. It's such a, a lovely book and a very, it just immerses us in this world. And speaking of worlds to be immersed in, we also have with us Aiz Jama Everett. He's traveled extensively in Northern Africa, New Hampshire, and Northern California, and that shows in some of his work. He holds a master's in clinical psychology and a master's in divinity, he teaches religion and psychology at Star King School for the Ministry. And his new novel is The Liminal People. And again, another first novel. This is a first novel that's really going to knock a lot of people's socks off, I think. And it's really fabulous. And providing a musical equipment is... Fenyon Smith. Fenyon Fen- Fen- Smith. Fenyon, Smith. Fen- let it rip. I think that's beautiful stuff. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll fade you out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to start with a, a reading here. Uh, who wants to go first? <laughs> let's let's have let's have Lisa go first. Okay. Um, so I guess what I should say, I'll, I'll read from the beginning of the uncertain places. What I should say is that it's from the it's a first person viewpoint, and it's a male viewpoint, which is the first time I ever tried that. So um, nobody said it. Nobody ever told me it didn't work. So maybe it, I guess it did. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, it was Ben Avery who introduced me to Livy, Livy and her haunted family. Um, how long are we supposed to go? As long as go, 10, 15 minutes? Okay, yeah. so let me know. Yeah. Okay. Um, this was in 1971 when Ben and I were sophomores in college. A lifetime ago, another world, but it seems like I can still remember all of it, every motion, every color, every note of music. For one thing, it was the year that I fell in love, but for another, I don't think anyone who experienced what I did that year could possibly forget it. Ben had gone to Berkeley early in September before classes started to find an apartment for us. He'd seen Libby's sister Maddie in a play and they'd started dating. And when I got to Berkeley, he couldn't talk about anything else. Now we were going to visit her family up in Napa Valley in the wine country for a couple of days. Back then, Ben drove a humpback 1966 Volvo, a car that seemed ancient even though it was only five years old. It smelled of mold and rust and oil, and to this day, whenever I find myself in a car like that, I feel young and ready for anything, any wild scheme that Ben or I would propose. The car went through a constant cycle of electrical problems. Either the generator didn't work, or the regulator, or the battery. And on this trip, as on so many others, the battery warning light flickered on and off, a dull red like the baleful eye of Mordor. We got on the freeway and headed out of Berkeley, then passed through the neighboring suburbs. As we crossed the Carquinas Bridge, Ben started telling me about the last time he'd taken the car in and the Swedish mechanic who told him the problem was with the generator. 
He did a goofy imitation of the mechanic, who I was sure was nothing like Ben portrayed him, but I barely paid attention. I was thinking about my upcoming classes and about the sister of Maddie's he wanted me to meet. Tell me again why I'm coming with you, I said, interrupting him in the middle of the story. You'll like them, Ben said. They're, they're fun. Come on, Will. Have I ever disappointed you? Disappointed? No, I said. Frustrated, enraged, terrified. Terrified? When were you ever terrified? That time you took your mom's car out for a drive. Every kid does that. You were 12. Yeah, well. And you haven't gotten much better since then. Slow down. Ah, oh, God, you're not going to try to pass that car, are you? The Volvo rattled over into the oncoming lane for a terrifying moment, and then Ben swore and moved back. Where did all these cars come from all of a sudden? It's like they grow them around here or something, along with the grapes. A bumper crop, I said. Give me a break, he said, not missing a beat. Don't be foolish. Have I ever steered you wrong? Yes, yes you have, I said, returning to my first theme. My very first day at your house, when you gave me that chili pepper and told me it was a yellow strawberry. <laughs> They're fun, I told you, he said. He could usually keep up with me like this. It came of knowing each other since kindergarten. You'll like them, and Maddie has a sister. Not as pretty, you said. Well, I would say that, wouldn't I? Maddie's beautiful and talented and creative, and Livy's a pale shadow. No, they're different, that's all. Livy's a chemistry major. Chemistry, what have you gotten me into here? We'll talk about the chromium mo molecule or something. Is chromium a molecule? I don't even know. Stick close to me, Ben. Can't, Maddie and I have plans. Oh, great. The sun was setting, throwing long shadows across the road. We'd reached the farmlands by this time, and I could see cows grazing in the fields on either side of us and the long rows of grapevines. We left the freeway and started up a twisting mountain road. Trees stood along either side, just starting to turn autumn red. A truck carrying a load of grapes crawled in front of us, then finally turned down a driveway and was hidden by the trees. Look, you'll like it, Ben said. It's this huge farmhouse that they've added to every generation. You get lost just looking for the bathroom. And acres of vineyards and their own wine label. Livy plans the dinner around the wine. Last time she made, Livy cooks? Yeah, didn't I tell you? She's a terrific cook. Interested now? She cooks in the kitchen, right? Not over her Bunsen burners, adding chromium to the meatloaf? Because I think I have a chromium allergy or something. Ah, Ben said, here we are. He twisted the wheel hard and we headed down an unpaved road. The road had a brief argument with the car, shaking it back and forth. Then finally they seemed to resolve their differences and we continued on. A few minutes later he parked and I looked out. The house we'd come to looked as, as if Hansel and Gretel's witch had taken a correspondence course in architecture. The front was the craftsman style so common in California with deep eaves, a wide porch, a gabled roof, a couple of stone chimneys. Behind that though was another house attached halfway along its front to the first. This one was Victorian with curlicues and G-jaws and a round pointed turret with a weather vane on top. Step back behind that was yet another front timbered and plastered like a Tudor cottage. Balconies stuck out at weird angles and stairs went up and down connecting them and small windows peered out whenever there was room for them. Somewhere in the midst of all this, a cathedral tower lifted high above the other buildings, looking as bewildered and out of place as a man who had lost his glasses. The front door opened and two dogs ran out, barking. Then a girl who looked about 13 came onto the porch and hurried after them. I turned to Ben angrily, wondering if this was one of his jokes, though it seemed a lot more mean-spirited than they usually were. No, he said. No, no, no. That's Rose, the third sister. The rest of them should be around here somewhere. We left the car and got our duffel bags out of the back seat. The front door opened again and Maddie stepped down to meet us. 
I'd met Maddie before, of course, with Ben. I'd even gone to see her in her play. It was true, as Ben said, that she was beautiful, but after a while you saw that a lot of her beauty came from the way she presented herself. She was dramatic, vividly present, with long hair the color of polished mahogany and brown eyes that seemed lit from within, like a lantern behind smoked glass. Her teeth stuck out slightly, the result, she'd said, of re refusing to wear her retainer when she was younger. At first glance, she seemed tall. Then you'd realize, with a start of surprise, that she was actually less than average height, that it was all an illusion caused by her long legs and the graceful way she carried herself. Ben, she said, hugging him. She gave me a hug next, much shorter. I'm glad you could make it. Livy, this is Ben's friend, Will Taylor. I turned, startled. I hadn't seen Livy come out. She looked a bit like Maddie, but darker, with black hair tied in a thick braid down her back and nearly black eyes. And she seemed different from her sister in other ways, too, more self-contained, self-sufficient, as if she carried an important secret. Maddie was always open. She would say anything to anybody. In contrast, Livy seemed exotic, mysterious. Maddie pulled her shawl around her. It had bright blocks of color, red and yellow and green, from Mexico or South America somewhere. It's cold out here, she said. Let's go inside. That's my shawl, Livy said. I'm just borrowing it, Maddie said. The way you borrowed my boots and my embroidered blouse. And here, you can have it back. No, no, you take it. I just want to say goodbye. Goodbye, dear shawl. It was good knowing you for the little time we had together. <laughs> Livy reached out for the shawl. Maddie slipped away and ran for the porch, laughing. By the time Ben and I caught up with them, Maddie was holding the door open for us, and we went inside. The living room was in the craftsman style, too, huge and dark, with wide plank floors and wooden rafters. One wall held a fireplace big enough for Ben to have parked the Volvo in. A small fire burned inside it, seeming to shiver within the last space. Around the fireplace was a flowery pattern of jade green and gold tiles, with writing in black Gothic letters just under the mantelpiece. There were built-in bookcases to either side, the shelves crammed with books, some standing, some lying down or leaning diagonally against their fellows. The smell of garlic and roasting meat wafted out from somewhere within the house. You can leave your bags here, Maddie said. We set them down near the door under a line of pegs that held coats and scarves and dog leashes, and then fo followed Maddie past some overstuffed couches and chairs. There was a fireplace in the dining room, too, and another built-in cabinet, the kind most people would put their best china in, although Maddie's family seemed to use it as another bookcase. A wooden table ran the length of the room with benches on either side. The table was mostly set, but Livy came out of the kitchen carrying some napkins and silverware. Do you need any help, Maddie asked. Great timing as usual, Maddie, Libby said. No, I'm pretty much done here. <laughs> Maddie straightened a few napkins. A heavy terracotta pot stood in the middle of the table with a pine tree in it half as tall as I was, and I went over to pick it up. No, leave that there, Maddie said, and Libby said at the same time, no, that's okay where it is. I set it down, and Libby carefully moved it back a few inches. I thought it would get in the way, I said. Maddie and Livy looked at each other. Our mother would have a fit if anyone moved it, Maddie said. Okay, I said. I wondered uneasily what other family customs I would violate in the next few hours. Suddenly I realized I didn't even know their last name. What's the mother's name, I whispered to Ben. Sylvie. I can't call her Sylvie, can I? Sylvie what? Sure you can. Sylvie Fire Robin. What the hell, I thought. What kind of name is Fire Robin? Ben had told me the family were hippies, but I wasn't expecting one of those pretentious pseudo-Indian names. It's Fire Robin's name, sir. This was one of the phrases we passed back and forth, the way other people quoted baseball statistics. It's from Catch-22. Someone says it whenever he's introduced to Yosarian. Usually it made me laugh, but right now I was too nervous. Still, I realized I hadn't heard the name right. Fire, what's it? 
fire, Ben said. Abend. What does it mean? It means quitting time in German, Livy said, coming out with more napkins and stuff. Getting off work. Festive evening. Really? How'd you get a name like that? Maybe we had a really lazy ancestor, Livy said, heading back to the kitchen. Is that That's great. Thank okay. you. Lisa Goldstein from the Uncertain Places. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.